you would and turn to Acts chapter 1 and Matthew chapter 9. Acts chapter 1 says, But you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem, in all Judea, and Samaria, and to the end of the earth. King James, that was the New King James Version. The King James Version says, Unto the uttermost parts of the earth. This morning, I want you to know that we're saved by Jesus. And when we accept Jesus, the Scripture says we receive not only the Holy Spirit, but the power of heaven. And sometimes I don't think we think about that, but that supernaturally goes on when you and I receive him. So when we're saved, we're not saved and that's it. We're not saved and just to come to a church service. We're not saved just to go on a mission trip. We're saved to serve and to share. Now, that's what Jesus says. Now, I want you to think with me a minute. You see, Acts 1-8 says we're saved and we're to serve and share. Where? Well, he begins talking about the community. He says, where you live, where I've planted you, where I put you, that you're supposed to be a witness unto me. In our country, we're to be a witness unto him. And in the other continents of the world, some people say, well, you know, I don't believe it's our responsibility to go outside of America. Well, that's not what the Bible says. The Bible says it is our responsibility not just to be concerned with our community or, or our country, but also the, the world and, and the powers of the worlds around us. People need Jesus everywhere. Amen? It isn't just here. But you know what? What good is, and then I said this about everything that we do here on campus, what good is it to go to Haiti, spend the money there, and share Jesus if you're not willing to share Jesus here? How many opportunities have you been given through your family, through your friends, through even your enemies to tell people about Jesus? And so often, look, I hear your stories about that big Davy Crockett deer you're going to kill. kill. And don't look, I plowed two... uh, Deer plots up last week. I'm not, I'm not insensitive to hunting and fishing. I do that all the time. But let me tell you what I don't just do. I don't just hunt. I don't just fish. I tell people about Jesus. And let me tell you something. The knit, if you want to know if you're spiritually growing, you really want to know if Jesus is, if you're really becoming the disciple that he wants you to be, you're sharing Jesus. If you're not sharing Jesus, your faith is weak. And you are spiritually weak if you're not willing to share Jesus. If you get more excited about a Georgia game and Tennessee beating Georgia Tech tomorrow night, I'm telling you, there's something wrong with us. We're spiritually, we're spiritually bankrupt. If we're more excited about the, the world news than we are the fact that people are lost, dying, and they need Jesus. You don't have to go to Haiti to share. You can go and share with your neighbor. You can share with your loved ones. Jesus said in Matthew 9, when he saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion for them because they were weary without direction and scattered like sheep having no shepherd. You see, what Jesus saw 
was he visualized the harvest was truly plentiful. What does that mean? What does it mean Jesus visualized that the harvest is plentiful? It means that there are a lot of folk need saving. Hey, listen, we haven't even begun to scratch the surface in Covington, Georgia. And at Solid Rock Baptist Church, we finally have reached a sizable nucleus where we can do something for God. I mean, 12, yes, I visualized what I wanted to see, but now we're around three, 400. Why, why can't we now take that and use that and reach and share people and share uh, Jesus with other people? You see, the harvest truly is great. And Jesus, when he visualized this, he visualized the people coming to know the Lord and becoming witnesses. That's what Jesus wants. He wants you to be a witness. You say, Mike, I've never shared Jesus in my life. Well, you're, you fit the statistic of, this, of, the, of the Christians today. 95% of the church today have never led anybody to Jesus. And I guarantee you, there's a bunch of you in here this morning, you've never led anybody to Christ. You say, well, now look, that's a God thing. Yeah, it is. It is a God thing. To me, Jesus said, the reason the vision is so great is because he, made, he saved you to be a witness. He saved you to serve. He saved you to open your mouth for other things than what your, your hobbies are or what your family's all about. And all those are important. But so often, the very thing that we claim we're too shy to do and won't do is the very thing that Jesus called us to, and that's to be a witness. You know, God does use mission trips to stir me up, and, and, and I can't help it. And he just it helps me remember what the most things that are priority about, what we need to prioritize in our life and in our church. It ought to enlarge our view of the world and help those who may never hear have a chance to hear the gospel. There's some of you right now that you have an influence on somebody that you may have the opportunity to share Jesus that I never will. They'll never come across my path, but they're coming across yours. Now, what are you doing with it? Are you telling them about your family? Are you telling them about your job? Are you telling them about that big deer you're casing out, been doing for two years, you're going to finally get it this year? What good is a deer when you die without Jesus? Now, guys, I'm telling you, if you don't think you're not going to stand before Jesus and give an account of every idle word and every idle deed and everything you're supposed to say you don't, you're wrong. Because I am, you are. You youth that have friends at school, I mean, you don't mind talking the junk, texting the text. You don't mind Twittering and blogging and Facebooking. Are you telling them about Jesus? You know, sometimes we can't tell them about Jesus because they know who you are. Mm Mm-hmm. They know how you live. You can't tell some of them close buddies how you, how you really are because they know the filth comes out of your mouth. They know how you really claim to be an, a, a bona fide Christian. Yeah, you, you look good on Sunday morning, but Monday through Saturday, you don't look so hot. So you're not going to get far with them. You can't con a con. They know who you are. You see, missions should be a lifestyle to glorify God and to be involved with his people wherever God puts us and wherever he decides to use us. 
Jesus also agonized. In Matthew 9, 37, Jesus was agonizing because the laborers are what? They're few. Since 1978, entering into Bible college, taking my first pastor in 1980, I have never been pastor of church where we had too much help. I mean, we've always agonized for nursery up. Never have been able to have enough nursery workers. Never had enough teachers. Never, never had enough to do any. I mean, we've always lacked somewhere in the church. I hear a lot of people say, well, I'd come be a part, but you just don't need anything. Oh, yeah, we need a lot. There's a lot, lot of things to be done. We've always no matter where, in my, in my 30 plus 37 years, we've been shorthanded. And I understand what Jesus meant when he agonized and looked. He said, the workers are few. And, and we need to pray about that. Because I'm a firm believer, the only reason I'm here at Solid Rock isn't because I want to be all the time. It's because God called me to be. You may not know Vernon Bell, but Vernon Bell... Junior is a preacher. Vernon Bell's daddy is a preacher. And they're the ones poured your concrete this week. And he's been here running like a chicken with his head cut off most of the week. And finally, Friday, I sat down with him on his tailgate and I said, Man, how do you have time to get ready for Sunday? Oh, my goodness, I saw the frustration on his face. He said, Mike, if it wasn't that I wasn't called, I'd have quit a whole, I'd quit long ago. I mean, the guy's out there finishing your sheetrock and doing, and he's the owner. 30, or not 30, about 10, 15 other guys working, and, and he's working. But he said, Mike, it gets so frustrating because I have to do my studying in the nights. His church is small. They can't afford him full time. But he said, I have a call. And that call is to see people saved. He wants to go on Haiti trip with us next, next year. He said, well, you will tell me. I said, absolutely. First thing I did is call Sam Johnson. I said, get off of the old lazy tail, son. We're going to Haiti next year. He said, I'm ready. Again, you don't have to go out of Covington to share Jesus. You can share it right here. But most of, I, this is the excuses I hear. Well, now, preacher, you don't need to waste any money. You need to go and, 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 and I'm going to go down the street and I'm going to tell people about Jesus. Then when I ask them finally, well, did you go? Because I went and shared in another country. Well, no, I didn't have time. Most people use it as an example as a lie because they ain't going to do it. Let me tell you something. Many churches are like the airplane pilot who came on the loudspeaker and said, Ladies and gentlemen, I want you to know that our navigational equipment has malfunctioned. We don't know where we are. We don't know where we're going. But we're making excellent time. Let me tell you something. When it comes to the average church, we have no idea where we're going. We have no, we don't, we, everybody thinks they're just fine. And, and, and they think we're making great strides at solid rock baptist church 
I don't want us to be an average church because I believe we do in leadership know where we're going. I believe we do have and hear from the voice of God, even though you don't agree with it. It don't matter whether you agree with God in terms of of way I perspective. If I hear him and I tell you that that's what God wants and you're against it, who is out of touch? You know, this church has been taken through in the last year. Some, we've been through some stuff. And we had people get upset and get all out of sorts. Well, who's out of touch? Would you please tell me? I was up this morning at 4, 35 o'clock praying for all of you, praying for, for all the sick, praying that God would use me today, praying for, for do you, are you getting up at 4.30 and you praying every day? Are you seeking God's face for the lost? Are you seeking God, God's face for this church to, to be a witness in this community to the lost and to those that need disciples? Are you spending any time at all? You see, the fact of it is, the reason we're in the shape we're in in America is because we're too complacent. We got it made. We didn't, I don't believe we had 20 minutes of power when we were in Haiti for the whole week. And at 10 o'clock at night, thank God, the, the what do you call that thing? Generator. Generator, come on. Yeah, we had air from 10 o'clock to 4 a.m. And I knew exactly when 4 a.m. was. Everything shut off. And if you don't think it didn't get to about 90 degrees in that room... But for 10, 10 to 4 in the morning, thank God I thought I had died and was with Jesus. I didn't realize how important air conditioning is. It's the calling of God. I mean, that's a need. They don't think so, but boy, I do. Why? Because I'm spoiled. I'm as spoiled as a preacher could be. Matter of fact, it got so hot, I was beginning to wonder, you know what, maybe that plane would leave early with a few of us. There's there's needs back at the church. You know, the fact of it is, and I don't know why I'm like that, I was raised by a mama who didn't have air conditioning until I moved out of the house. Kenny Adams went and put her air in. I don't know why he didn't do that when I was just a young kid. I said, Mama, why'd you wait till we were grown and gone? To get air conditioning. All I had was an attic fan. Y'all you know what I'm talking about? That was a blessing at night. About 110 in the heat, and it comes on. Sucks in the mosquitoes all from the outside. <laughs> Thirdly, Jesus evangelized. Matthew 9, 38 says, We are to pray to the Lord of the harvest to send more workers into his harvest. Look. Let me tell you how the church grows. Church grows through the Father, but he wants us to be used to witness. My question is, are you using this mouth other than for gossip, cussing, drinking, or are you using this mouth for Jesus? That's what we're supposed to do. That's what Jesus called us to do. We all should have a a revised vision of the purpose that Jesus has called us to do. 
when I look out at this congregation, I see a church with potential of an army of soldiers that need to be on the battlefield. But instead, we're often, we're in the barracks asleep. We, we've, we've not been saved to sit in a pew and soak up in biblical truth. We've been saved to serve, to do something with what the Holy Spirit. Why would the Holy Spirit give us power if we're not supposed to use it? There'll be people that'll die and bust hell because you don't open your mouth. And you don't think you're not going to stand before Jesus on that one? Oh, yeah. Well, I just don't want to offend anybody. Some people need to be offended. And some people will be offended just because you tell them about Jesus. But then the Holy Spirit will begin to stir them. All you got to do is plant a seed. You don't have to beat them up. Just plant the seed of love. And tell them why Jesus came and what he done for you. How he changed you. If you ain't changed, then you ain't saved. If you don't have power, if you don't have the Holy Spirit, you don't have salvation. You've got a religion. That's what Jesus teaches. What do we need to be doing with our children, whether it be the rec league, whether it be children's church, whether our youth? What do we need to be doing our youth? You need to be telling them about Jesus. We can take them skiing. We can take them to the beach. We can take them to a lot of good things. But I'm telling you something. What you need to be doing is teaching them about the Lord. I, I, I know one thing. You don't have enough power that could, could even light up my room in your flesh. But when it comes to the power of the Holy Spirit in us, we can see things happen not through, not through this flesh, but through the Lord as he works through us. We have a communication problem today. Oh, it's not that we're not communicating. Some of you are plumb ridiculous how you communicate. Now, I can be free at this because I haven't read any of my wife's Facebook posts. I don't, I'm not on Facebook, so I don't know how dumb you look on Facebook. But a bunch of you look real dumb on Facebook. Now, if you're under conviction of that... That ain't me because I don't know what you're saying out there on Facebook. (laughs) But we got a communication problem. When you and I can, we walk, I didn't even bring it in with me, but we walk around with our face in the cell phone. Everywhere I went, even in Haiti, they're walking around like this. I said, man. Are we addicted to the telephone? Yes, you're addicted to the telephone. And we're good folk. Look, we pass hundreds of people, but you don't dare take your eyes off that phone. Some of you twittering and tweaking and blogging. You got laptops, iPods, iPads. Facebook, texting. We're communicating. Guess what? 
There's some of you couldn't carry on a, te- a, co- a, a, a conversation with a telephone pole. But give them something to type, and all of a sudden, every fiber in their body of communication comes alive. Talk to them about that. Yeah, yeah. But you can text. You can even spell. How do you spell Apple? You can't talk, but you can type. You can text. You can look at pictures. Boy, we are a dumbed-down society because of a dumb telephone and computer and fiber and Internet. We got a communication problem. You won't say nothing to nobody, but you'll flat text them. How are you going to frame a house, Jody? Text it. How are you going to plumb a house, Melvin, on an iPad? You got to talk to people sometime in life. Some of you don't even know you have neighbors, but you know where your laptop's at. You know the percentage of the battery life. It's amazing. Because we're addicted. Used to it only be crack cocaine and meth and alcohol and, and, and opium and all that kind of stuff. Now it's communication. I'm talking about we can't communicate with husband and wife because you can't get off your cell phone long enough. Some of you can't even have a complete meal because of a stupid ball. Am I talking to anybody here today? Say Amen. It's ridiculous. And if you don't think this isn't from the enemy, if you don't think this isn't Satan-driven, he's smart. He's smart. Because if he can get us looking at a stupid phone and not talk to people, we won't win anybody, Jesus. You just can't get away from eye-to-eye contact with people. You ever saw somebody come up to you and they were telling you how much they cared about you? Then they go, let me just a minute. I love you. You don't love me. You love your phone. I mean, I don't know if anybody's preaching this today, but they ought to be. I can't go into a restaurant. Everybody's head looks like they're praying. They ain't praying. I'm simple. Am I telling them, am I lying or dying? It's the truth. We got a communication problem. Have you, has it ever occurred to you that the first two letters of the gospel is go? Did you know the first two letters of God is go? Not text, go. The first two letters of good is go. Well, There's one thing you can say about what Jesus wants the church to do. He doesn't want us addicted to the very thing. Keep us from going. Go do what? Jesus said witness and tell people about Jesus. We get all mad at lost people because lost people don't come to church. You know what? I haven't found one Verse in the Bible that tells a lost person to go to the church. But I'll tell you what I have found. I found a bunch of verses that tell saved people to go to the lost. 
maybe we need to quit condemning all these lost folk about trying to go to church and start exhorting the church to get off your lazy butts and get out here and tell people about Jesus. What's wrong with this? You're not short on words. I bet you if I could follow some of you on Facebook, it'd be ridiculous at the words coming out of you. But then go up and ask you, well, how's your life? You look at me like, has he lost his mind? I ain't talking. I'm texting. We are simply to take every opportunity as believers across this nation and drop the gospel seed in somebody's heart. I told Wednesday night, Rick, I'd find this, and I did, and I'm going to close with this illustration. One of my personal favorite preachers, I hope he's not Calvinist. Some say he is, but it's Dr. James Merritt. I, I just like him. I like to, to hear him. And he gave an illustration where a man joined his church. And after a few weeks, that man came up to him and said, Hey, Dr. Dr. Merritt, would you go talk to my wife about Jesus? He said, Sure, I, I'd be glad to. Me and my wife will go on Tuesday and see her. He says, Well, let me tell you one other thing. She's an atheist and she hates preachers. He said, Man, I thought I'd known that. I'd thought about it a minute, but I'd done open my mouth, so I got, had to go. So he went, knocked on the door. She came to the door. She said, I'll tell you right now, I'm an atheist and I hate preachers. He said, would you just give me five minutes? She said, that's all you got. So he went in. Her name was Diane. And uh, he said, Diane, do you know for sure that if you were to die today, would you go to heaven? She said, I done told you, I don't believe in heaven. I told you I'm an atheist. I said, are you telling me that you know that there's no God? She said, that's exactly right. I believe there is no God. Here's what he said. Well, let me ask you a question. Do you know everything there is to know about everything? She says, well, absolutely not. She said, well, he said, well, let me be generous. Would you say you know half of everything there is to know about everything? And she said, No, I wouldn't say that either. He said, well, would you agree that God could exist in the knowledge that you do not have? She said, I've never thought about that before. Most people act like dummies don't think anyway. But anyway, she said, well, I don't know whether there's a God or not. He said, now we're getting somewhere. He said, you're not an atheist, you're an agnostic. She smiled very brightly with, a, with such great pride. She said, yep, that's right, I'm not an atheist, I'm agnostic. He said, now, I didn't tell her, the Latin, tell her that the Latin word for agnostic was ignoramus. I just went on. I said, now, I want you to ask, I want to ask you this question. Are you an honest agnostic or a dishonest agnostic? She said, what do you mean? He said, well, an honest agnostic says, I don't know whether there's a God or not, but I want to find out. A dishonest agnostic says, I don't know whether there's a God or not, and I don't want to know. She said, I would say I am an honest agnostic. He said, all right. And he went out to his car, and he got a paperback New Testament. He brought that in. He said, now, 
I want you to begin reading every day one chapter in the Gospel of John. She said, but you don't understand. I don't believe the Bible. He said, that's okay. That's okay. I said, I, want you, I just want you to do it anyway. She said, it won't do any good. He said, I understand all that. I just want you to agree with me that you'll read one chapter in the Gospel of John every day. And he says, and when you read it, I want you to ask two questions. One, as you read, who did Jesus claim to be, number one? And number two, what am I going to do about it? He said, you understand that? She said, sure. Will you do that? She said, yes. He said, okay, there's 21 chapters in the book of John. I'm going to give you three weeks. I'm going to leave you alone. This preacher ain't going to bother you, but I'm going to pray that God show you those two questions. The next Sunday, he was up preaching, and he gave the invitation, and Diane walked out. He said, I showed my great faith by saying, why'd you come? (laughs) She said, I need to be baptized. He said, now, wait a minute. Before you get baptized, you need to get saved. She said, I got saved. Those questions and the Holy Spirit got a hold of me. I got saved. She said, when did you get saved? I didn't make it out of chapter one. She said, now you got to baptize me. He said, okay, I will. You see, our job is not to try to force anybody to believe anything that we believe, but to drop seeds in the hearts of what we understand is the gospel story and what it done for us. Because, see, if you plant a seed, it's going to grow. Now, I got news for you. They don't always grow that fast. Sometimes it takes years. Sometimes it takes a long time for that growth and that seed to take root. But you and I are to communicate it and share with other people. You're saved to serve and to share. Now, my question is, what are you scared of? It could be. You're scared of what somebody's looking and watching you do and say and how you're acting that it would not be at all advantageous for you to tell anybody about Jesus. Well, let me tell you something. That's an easy thing to deal with. All you have to do is make yourself to this old-fashioned altar. It's called repentance. I'm not talking about come down here and say, God, forgive me all my sin. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about you coming before a God who already knows you've screwed up and you're messing up and you admit what it is that's going on in your life that's keeping you from being the witness that Jesus saved you to be. And then you go tell that to all the people you've let down by your testimony. Because after all, you're saved, you've claimed. And if you're not saved, just get that right while you're at it. Because then you get not only the Holy Spirit, but get you, you, you receive the power that makes the difference. With your heads bowed and eyes closed.